If you love Viking sports like we do, make sure you subscribe to this podcast and turn on your notifications. Variety is the key word for Episode 8 of Viking 360. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk basketball with former Viking coach, now on the college level, and with a current Viking about his much-anticipated return to the court. We'll talk wrestling with one of Ripley High's all-time greats on the mat. And two Ripley High grads will share with us their insights on WVU football. We'll have all that and more in this edition of Viking 360. Co-host Brian Johnson caught up with former Viking basketball coach Evan Faulkner, who's now on the staff at the University of Pikeville and coaching former Viking Luke Lehue. Welcome back inside Viking 360. I'm joined now by former Viking boys head coach Evan Faulkner. And coach, uh, good to catch up with you, man. I know you and I uh, exchange texts every now and again to see uh, catch up and see how you're doing. But uh, let the Viking Nation know uh, how Coach Faulkner's doing now. I'm doing well. I appreciate you calling, Brian, and, and having me on. It's always good to catch up with you. And um, been keeping up with the Vikes, and uh, know they're working hard and, and and trying their best to have a good season. So it's always exciting when I see those tweets come across the timeline and get to see how they're doing. But but things are good here. We're uh, obviously in the middle of our season too, so we're uh, we're trying to figure out how to win some games as well. Yeah, you're at the University of Pikeville now, down in Kentucky, and you have. Uh... A former Viking standout down there with you now, transferred down in uh, Luke Lay. You talked a little bit about that, Coach. Yeah, it was certainly exciting for us to get Luke, me especially, having uh, you know the relationship we had at Ripley. Um, Luke had been at West Virginia Wesleyan for his first two years and uh, just decided he wanted to make a change. And um, it, it was a perfect fit for us. We felt like right from the beginning we needed a post player. And, uh, you know, the, the intriguing thing for us about Luke was just his reliability we felt like we knew exactly what we were going to get out of him you know day in and day out whether it was practice or games uh felt like he was somebody you could really count on just to do what you ask him to do and and you know perform at the same time so um you know he they got in touch with us when when they decided to leave and uh, we recruited him as hard as we've recruited anybody since i've been here uh we did an in-home visit there in ripley we had him on campus um, so just kind of went through the whole gamut of things to, to try to make him feel welcome. And ultimately he, he felt like it was, it was the right fit for him as well. And, uh, here we are, he's, he started, uh, probably 90% of the games for us this year. And uh, he's averaging about 10 points and six rebounds a game. One of the top field goal percentage guys in our league at about 65 or 66%. So it's, uh, I feel like it's really worked out well for both sides. Well, Coach, talk about him just just for another minute. Uh, we all know what a great player he is and, uh, uh, you know, how he can kind of flip the switch when he gets between the lines and he turns into a, a little different guy. He's pretty laid back off the floor. But, Coach, what a great kid he is. Yeah, it's it's just, you know, when you find kids like that, that, uh, you know, he's a 3.0 student. He, you know, never, ever has a bad word to say to anybody. He comes to practice with – a great attitude every day, probably the most coachable kid we've got on our team. And then at the same time, you get a kid like that that's 
the caliber of player that he is. It's, you know, it's a coach's dream. So, um, it's just, it's been, like I said, a pleasure having him in our program. I feel like he, uh, you know, brings a little different personality to our team. Uh, like you said, very laid back, uh, again, very coachable and, and just somebody that, like we said, when we were recruiting, just somebody we feel like we can count on day in and day out to do what we're asking them to do. Coach, uh, when you came to Ripley, you were, uh, fair to say, a little wet behind the ears, a pretty uh, pretty young man. You had just uh, gotten out of college and uh, were just getting started uh, with what you wanted to do with your life. What did you learn in your time here at Ripley as far as coaching's concerned and then also uh, just transitioning from uh, being a college student and an athlete into the real world? Yeah, yeah, I actually – you know, I think about this from time to time. It's a little crazy. I think I was 23 years old when I took that job. And, uh, shoot, I was four or five years older than the guys I was coaching. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I'd known I'd, I had known I wanted to do that for a very long time. So, uh, you know, as I was going throughout my playing career, it was something that I constantly thought about and tried to, you know, whatever, put yourself in the position of the coach during different times throughout your playing career whether it's in game in practice something I was constantly thinking about so uh, you know the biggest thing I think while I was there you were kind of trying to learn on the fly as a first-time head coach was just the management side of it uh, you know we we had practice we had to plan practice we had to plan scouting we had to um, you know plan for for games and and there was just a whole lot thrown at you at once and you know, like I said, there, there's a lot of that stuff I had thought about in the past as I was playing and, and as I was coaching that one year at Charleston. But uh, it's a little different when you're there and, and you're the guy responsible for making those decisions as opposed to just having some input. So, you know, just trying to figure out how to manage all those things at once. And, and uh, at the same time, you're, you're trying to manage the, the kids on your team as well. Uh, and figure out, you know, their personalities and build relationships with them. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think that that was probably the the biggest learning curve, especially as a as a guy coming from being an assistant for one year and then taking over a program. Um, just 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 learning how to manage all those different things at once. Coach, you you came to us by way of a legendary Viking head coach and Randy Anderson. We had spent some time with him uh, prior to uh, you getting this job. And uh, when it was made very clear to us that Coach Anderson was happy where he was and he didn't want to relocate again, you were the first name that came out, came out of his mouth. And, and he really uh, pushed hard for you to get this opportunity. Uh, what was your relationship with Coach Anderson? And uh, just talk a little bit about him. Yeah, so Coach was um... – had been at Lawrence County in the past and, and at the time was at Boyd County, which is in the same region as Elliott County where I went to high school. So as a, as a player had played against the teams he was coaching. And then as I got a little older, uh, my brother and I started coaching a, an AAU team of just pretty much local Eastern Kentucky kids. And his son, Bobby happened to be one of those kids that was on our team. Um, so just, build a relationship with him through that. We, we kind of went all over the Eastern half of the United States for two or three summers. Um, he was spectating and, and would help us from time to time with the coaching side of it. But, uh, you know, we would, we would be on those AAU trips and we'd be up to one, two o'clock in the morning there in a the conference room at the hotel, just listening to him tell stories and just a really, really close friendship formed through it. And, 
still talk to Coach Anderson at least two or three times a month. I've got to see his team play a couple times this year. They always come to team camp here. We find a way to get out on the golf course from time to time in the summer. So um, just just a really, really close friend, one of the best guys in this business, uh, uh, and, and uh, really respect and appreciate his friendship. And, Coach, he's an underrated storyteller, isn't he? Oh, it's phenomenal. <laughs> you can, and, and the crazy thing about it is is he tells the same stories over and over, and it, it never gets old. You just, you just want him true. to keep telling them. So true. Coach, uh, in college now, different world for you. Talk about the difference in going from being a high school coach to uh, being in college where you have to recruit uh, and do all the different things that you have to do at the college level. Yeah, I, I think you nailed it. The biggest difference is obviously the recruiting side of it. Um, you, you, some I, I'm not going to say you don't do it at high school. Some do it. You're probably not supposed to do it. So, <laughs> um, but but we have to. And and you know, there's just so many different things that go into it. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people just look at it and and think, hey, you go out there and you find somebody you like and you recruit them and you get them. And you know, it's just certainly not the case. Um, but but that trying to figure out that side of it was the biggest adjustment for me. And and like I said, you know, there's so many things that aren't thought about when it comes to that, you know, there's an academic side to it. Uh, Obviously you have to figure out, you have to get transcripts and figure out whether or not they're qualified. But in order to do that, you have to know what it means to be qualified. Uh, You know, there's an application process that they all have to go through. And that's always a big challenge for us is just, locking the guys in that you're recruiting and, and making sure they get applied, get their transcripts here. You know, they fill out their FAFSA stuff, which is, which is another requirement. Um, you know, there's just a lot to it. Uh, you know, you do high school and you do transfers. So there's different sets of rules for each. Uh, there's different, uh, different qualification process for each. So just, just managing that and, and, and learning. That was obviously the first step for me was just learning how to go through all that and, and, trying to figure out how you start from identifying a prospect to, to finalizing them with a signing is, is probably much more in-depth than I originally thought it was going to be. Well, Coach, we know great things are on the horizon for you, and uh, we wish you all the success in the world. And we look back very fondly on the time you were here with us, and we certainly uh, hope to see you back in Ripley sometime soon. And, and when you do, bring your golf clubs because you and I are going to Green Hills. Yep, I would love to do that very soon. I appreciate you guys. Miss everybody. Um, certainly want to uh, figure out a way to get back up there before too long and, and, and hang out with you guys. Coach, best of luck the rest of the way, and thanks again for the time. Thanks, Brian. You've been listening to former Viking coach Evan Faulkner on Viking 360. Also on the topic of basketball, I spoke with Ty Johnson. This Ripley Jr. has been sidelined with a hand injury, but he is about to rebound as a Viking post player. All right, welcome back inside Viking 360. I'm joined now by Viking Jr., Ty Johnson. Ty, uh, buddy, uh, I know you're itching to get back out on the court, man. It's uh, been a long uh, first half of the season for you with this injury, I'm sure. Yeah, it's been the longest thing ever. I'm just uh, ready to go back out and play. Ty, how difficult has it been for you, honestly, to sit there and watch your team play? And they've they've played fairly well in points uh, throughout the season, knowing having you out there on the floor, uh, maybe some of the results would have been a little bit different. 
but you've had some uh, time to watch some of your teammates play and uh, play pretty well. Uh, in the, when you watch Isaac Putnam play and you watch uh, Yeti out there and, and Isaiah Rife, and now he's played down in the post. Uh, Got to get you excited to, to what could be once you get back in there with them. Oh, yeah. I cannot wait to play with him because that takes all of the pressure off Zay for uh, for uh, being a like an undersized big man because I'm going to help uh, – me and Isaac will be literally like a force to be unstoppable. 6'4 and 6'7. It's going to be hard to guard whenever I get back out there soon. Talk about the energy that Isaac plays with. Uh, it's got to be infectious to everybody throughout the team. As a big man, uh, he plays as hard as anyone on the floor. Yes, him and him and Fowdy get us all ready to go on defense. They probably play the hardest defense out of all the teammates I've ever had. So, Ty, there's a chance you're coming back this week. Uh, we have St. Albans coming up uh, this week as well as uh, we play Friday night. I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now. But you got a chance to get back maybe a week or so earlier than uh, we originally thought. Yeah, I cannot wait. I'm, I really hope that I can play tomorrow. But if not, Friday will be fine. Friday's Brooke. Brooke, that's right. Yeah. So let's, you know, we get the win tomorrow night and, and we're back right about where uh, we thought we needed to be with you out. And that's around the 500 mark, which gives us time to get used to you being back in the lineup and all the pieces working together uh, in time for you guys to make a little run in February and hopefully into sectional and regional play. Yeah. Whenever I get back, we, uh, we legitimately have a chance to win all of the last nine or eight games, however many I get to play. So, Ty, uh, through the offseason, what have you worked on? What can the Viking fans expect to see uh, in your game, maybe that you've improved on or something that you really worked hard to get better at in the offseason? Shooting, probably 100% shooting. Because, like, uh, as you know, that I'm like a face-up player more than a back-to-the-basket. And, like, I could do literally everything but shoot it how I wanted it to. Shooting is literally all I worked on. What uh, mid-range game, free throw shooting, what what was the elbow jumper? What was the, the main emphasis for you? The mid-range and three, because I know that people ex- – because uh, people expected me to come in and uh, uh, be able to shoot the three, shoot the mid-range, just, uh, just uh, shoot in general. So talk about how difficult it will be to defend you guys if you're knocking down threes uh, when you got a, a guy of your size. Literally, probably very difficult to defend, especially at a high school level when you got a six, seven guy knocking down three point shots. Yeah, I think it's going to be really hard to guard because, like, if you're going to take away my jump shot, like I can put it on the floor and get around you, and then if that's not available, then I can throw it to one of the other guard shooters. Or I can throw to put him in the post because, like, he's by far our best post player. Ty, I think one of the most underrated parts of your game is probably your passing ability, and it's been that since you put on a uniform at Ripley High School. Uh, your height, your size, especially if you're out on the perimeter, uh, you can cause a lot of problems and put defenses in a bind with your ability. 
to get the ball where you want to get it, uh, passing it. And if you're knocking those shots down, it's going to make it uh, even more difficult. Yeah, yeah. Like, I've always been a fat, uh, pass, pass first. No matter what, I'm going to them. And, like, really, really do uh, work on his passing the ball. Now, what would the ultimate goal for you be, Ty? I think I know the answer to that, and that would be win a state championship. Is that something uh, that you guys uh, think about? Is that a goal that's on the wall in the locker room? Uh, it's never been done before at Ripley High School, but, uh, you know, you got to aim high. Yes, that is my ultimate goal before I graduate. But uh, right now, in, in between our teammates, it's, it's just uh, doing one game at a time. And then uh, whenever those are over, we're, we're uh, going to be heading to sectionals. All right, I'm going to ask you this because I always ask uh, guys this or the gals after I interview them. We know what you do in basketball. We know you're a good student uh, at the uh, in the academic level. What do you do with your free time besides basketball? What makes you tick? What do you like to do? Play video games, listen to music? What is it that makes Ty Johnson uh, tick when he's not playing basketball or, or studying? Well, I do a, just a bunch of basketball, and uh, usually I just uh, hang out with my friends on the weekends, and I usually just go home play around, play video games. But, but, but like I just said, like I played more uh, basketball than just about now, anything. You have a, a interesting situation at home. You have an older brother who's playing D1 college basketball right now, recently just announced he's headed to Dayton to, to finish his career. You have a little brother who's nearly as tall, maybe not at, is as much tall as you at in eighth grade. Uh, I bet you guys have some really good one-on-one games in the backyard in the summertime. Oh man, that stuff gets so competitive. <laughs> but uh, but uh, Luke, yeah, Luke's my young brother. He's I'm about six seven. He's about six eight, maybe pushing six nine. Uh, but like uh, the backyard games, Luke, 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 like doesn't have like the things to play with me and Chase. But like uh, me and Chase go so hard at each other. That's just like all we do during the summer while uh, Chase is back. And that has to make you a better player, no question. Yes, it does. Because before, like, I could sometimes beat Chase back when uh, he was in high school. But then whenever he went to Honey to prep his senior year and then, like, he went to college for two years, his, like, defense is, like, impossible. Like, uh, that just shows me how much work I got to put in if I'm – play at the next level all right Ty we uh, look forward to what the rest of the season has in store for you and next year as well so thanks for the time buddy and uh, get well soon we look forward to seeing you out there on the court turning our attention to wrestling Ripley cracked the AAA top 10 this week as did five individual Vikings congratulations to Brock Matson. Brett Haskins, Luke Miller, Ethan Kuntz, and Austin Bogus. And congratulations to Ripley grad Mitch Smith, soon to be inducted into the Viking Wrestling Hall of Fame. Mike Rubin caught up with the three-time state champion. He's among the most successful wrestlers in the history of Ripley High School, and now he's helping others achieve their potential on the wrestling mat. We're talking 
with Mitch Smith. Coach, welcome, and uh, thank you for joining us on Viking 360. Hi, thanks for having me. Mitch, your career here would include three state championships culminating as a senior in 2005. You had a remarkable career record of 195 and 3. But when did you realize that you and the sport of wrestling just seemed to click? Um, probably at a pretty, pretty young age. Um, when I started wrestling, I was eight years old. When I started wrestling, and knew that I had a love for the sport, kind of right out of the gate. Um, I like the, you know, how it's, yeah, you know, I play team sports, football and such, but I think I love the aspect of it's one-on-one. It's, you know, you versus another guy, and, you know, it's on you at the end of the day whether you get your hand raised or not. So I kind of I fell in love with the sport in, in that aspect of it. And then after high school, you wrestled at uh, Hofstra University in New York State before returning to the Mountain State at West Liberty, posting a record of 58-9 and and earning uh, All-American honors. How would you describe your career as a wrestler at West Liberty? Um, it went very well. It was a different route than coming to West Liberty right out of high school. Um, you know, going to Hofstra University in uh, Long Island, New York was was a cool experience for me. Uh, the coach at the time was actually the head coach at Ohio State now that recruited me there. So it was, um, you know, good experience for me. Um, but I, at the end of the day, realized that I think a smaller school setting was more my fit for me. So West Liberty, you know, being, um, you know, in the state of West Virginia, um, coming back here was a great fit for me individually. And the school itself was was fantastic so worked out really well for me uh, at West Liberty. And then uh, after completing your career uh, as a wrestler you moved into the coaching profession first as an assistant at West Liberty and then you built the program at Alderson Broadus before returning uh, to take over the helm of that strong wrestling tradition uh, with the Hilltoppers. Tell us about your team's accomplishments uh, so far and what are your goals with the program? Yeah, starting out, you know, my coaching career was an assistant, and then finally got a head, was an assistant for two years, and then got the head position uh, at Artisan Broadus University, and you know that was uh, a test in itself, starting a program from scratch and building it up uh, to get people to believe in the program, come to a university that didn't have wrestling before. So, and then you know coming back to West Liberty as a head coach was kind of you know my direction of what I eventually wanted to do was come back to my alma mater and be the coach, but during my, you know, coaching career, um, I've helped coach, you know, three top 20 teams, um, got two national finalists, um, four All-Americans, 10-plus academic All-Americans, um, eight national qualifiers, so I, I want to keep um, continuing that trend last year um, as a team, as, my, as a head coach, we had a kid that was finished fourth in the country. He was ranked number one in the country for the most of the season, um, you know, and helped us finish in the top 25 last year. So keep building on that. Eventually, you know, my ultimate goal is to get a team trophy, an NCAA team trophy to get back to West Liberty. And part of your program at West Liberty, there are uh, two uh, former Vikings, and they had the distinction of wrestling for your brother Matt uh, here at Ripley, and now they're part of your program uh, with the Hilltoppers. 
Yeah, you always want to keep, you know, the pipeline wherever you come from. Um, you know, having my brother as head coach at Ripley, um, it's easy communication for me of who he thinks could wrestle at the next level. So we have Chase and Chance Morgan um, on the team now from Ripley, which Chase Morgan um, towards ACL back in the fall. So he's actually um, medical redshirting this year. But his brother Chance is our starter at 174. So it's nice to have Ripley um, in the lineup up here at West Liberty as well. Mitch, the, the Wrestling Hall of Fame is something relatively new uh, at Ripley High, and you are about to be inducted. The ceremony is coming up uh, January 22nd, but tell us, what does it mean for you being inducted to that Hall of Fame? Um, I think it's a great, a great thing. Um, you know, when you go through... You know, your sport, whether you're a football player, soccer, wrestling, whatever it may be, you know, at the time as you're playing it, you really don't think of, you know, going into the Hall of Fame of any Hall of Fame. You're just kind of plugging away where you're at in, in the present time and accomplishing as much as you can in the time that, you know, you're playing your sport. So now that, you know, you get a little bit older, um, you know, your, your, you know, athletic career is kind of over. Um, you know, getting inducted into Hall of Fame is always a good recognition of knowing that you did you did well in your sport. You represent your school, uh, your family, and everything well. So I think it's a it's a great thing uh, to be inducted any kind of Hall of Fame. Um, but I'm looking forward to going into the Hall of Fame at Ripley High School. And coach, uh, you are now a family man. Bring us up to date on the home life of uh, Coach Smith and your wife Courtney. Yeah. So. Um, we recently had a uh, little girl, probably, it's been about, uh, she's a little over a month now, so it'll be two months here on um, January 28th, so little one, I know probably the timing of uh, having a girl during lesson season wasn't the best, but uh, it was a blessing, and you know, the guys in the team understood when I had to miss you know, a couple of days of practice and, and such for that, so it's been a true blessing for me and Courtney to welcome Emma into the world, and it's, it's, um, it will change your life, that's for sure. So I'm, I'm blessed to have you know, Courtney and my wife and then having him as a, our daughter too. So things are going well. Everything's healthy, moving in the right direction. So just a little sleep at night here and there. But uh, we're adjusting and, and things are going well at the home life. Coach, our thanks uh, to one of the all-time greats, three-time state champion and soon-to-be Viking Hall of Famer, Mitch Smith. Thanks, I appreciate it. There was a shakeup in Morgantown. Coach Dana Holgerson is out, and Coach Neil Brown is the new man with West Virginia University football. We had two local perspectives of the Mountaineers. First, we have this look from the Houston angle. He's what you would call a diehard fan of the West Virginia University Mountaineers. This Ripley High graduate of 2010 brings an unusual perspective to the recent football changes in Morgantown in that the former WVU student is now a resident of the vicinity of Houston, Texas, the new home of none other than ex-Mountaineer head coach Dana Holgerson. Welcome to the program, a man who was a former Viking, literally, C.J. Walters. We will talk about your Viking days as a mascot in a few minutes, but tell us what is the atmosphere in the Houston area regarding the new hire for the Cougars? First off, Rube, uh, I want to say thank you, and I appreciate you having me on this podcast. It means a lot to me. Um, to 
get to your point, the atmosphere down in Houston currently about the Dana Holgerson situation in the hiring is has a lot of fans excited. They think it's a good call from the uh, the university, and um, typically, you know, they're they're not accustomed to this. They're typically used to coaches coming to Houston for a springboard and to other, you know, than to other bigger schools. Um, so for a Power Five head coach to come down to the University of Houston means a lot to them. They think that now they're no longer going to be a springboard and that he's going to be here long term. Uh, personally, CJ, as a football fan, and I know you're a huge football fan, how would you describe the Holgerson years with WVU? <laughs> My opinion of the man is, is, is pretty good. I like the guy. Now, I can't speak for the many of fellow Mountaineer fans that I see trash-talking Holgerson and wanting him out of town. But um, I think that with that being said, my personal opinion of Dana is good. I like the guy. I think the, the fans should take a moment to reflect and appreciate what Dana did for the program. You know, he successfully transitioned us from the Big East to the Big 12, you know, and without his experience, familiarity with the Big 12, I doubt that we would have been in such a fortunate spot that we are in today. I mean, the guy coached eight seasons with us and had a record of 61 and 41, you know, the second most in school history, obviously behind the great Don Neal. Um, and to look at his track record, he, he had two dozen players drafted into the NFL, um, and probably several more than professional career in seals and others. So, in my opinion, Dana really elevated the WVU program uh, and left it in a better state when he wrapped. So, for that, I'm grateful. CJ, I know that football is huge in the state of Texas. How do you believe that WVU football is perceived in the Lone Star State in relationship to being a member of the Big 12 Conference? Room. What they say about Texas and football is true. I mean, everything I mean revolves around football here. So when when I live in Houston, you know, U of H has not been the program like Texas and you know Texas Tech and Baylor and some of those schools like A and M have been. Um, but I think that they have a level of respect especially since the past year when we beat Texas on that two-point conversion. You know, everybody knows, everybody knows that I'm from West Virginia, I'm rooting for the Mountaineers, and they give me a lot of flack, you know, teasing me. But at the end of the day, they respect the Mountaineers and what they take to the table. And knowing geography, and it's not for the Big 12, and that we fly every, every game or every time across country, 1,100 miles, um, so they, they, the one thing I can take away here, you guys can take away is that they respect us, you know? Very good, then. Now, CJ, let's turn back the clock to your high school days, uh, at Ripley. Why was it that you wanted to be, as a high school student, uh, the Viking mascot? And what did you get out of that experience? So, my senior year, I had a different 
um, sort of living situation, and uh, that brought to light some opportunities for me. Um, I didn't really play sports all through, all through school, and I was pretty shy, kind of a, a nerdy kid, you know, kept my nose in some books the right all the time. Um, when my senior year rolled around and those opportunities arose, I knew that really to go out for a sports team wasn't the smartest idea, and, uh, you know, knowing that I didn't have any background um, in, those, in those fields, playing-wise. So I was thinking of a way to show my school spirit to, to really get out into the community and to branch out for all those years that I, you know, I wasn't involved. And the mascot position was, you know, more for tryouts. So I decided to try out and I uh, ended up getting a job. And that transcended me into a level that I've never seen before because before then I would try, you know, quiet and kept to myself. After that, my skills were extraordinary and to this day I credit my senior year and that mascot position um, the reason why that's excellent CJ and our thanks go to CJ Walters now a resident of Houston Texas but he'll always be I have a feeling he'll always be a, a Viking and he'll always be a mountaineer that's right let's go mountaineer As a former kicker at the University of Kentucky, my co-host Brian Johnson is familiar with the new coach at WVU, Neil Brown. Based on his experience, the Mountaineers made a good hire. 100% agree with that, Rube. Uh, Neil is a good family man, a good Christian man. Uh, he came in after my senior year, so I got to know him once I had graduated through several of my teammates uh, that I left behind. Then I also got to know Neil a little bit more when he was the offensive coordinator at the University of Kentucky. And uh, I think this was a slam dunk. I think he will do a tremendous job. He will unify the program. He will unify the fan base. And I firmly believe West Virginia fans will be very pleased with him. And Brian's opinion is shared by Trevor King. This Ripley and WVU grad is in the know when it comes to Mountaineer football. Our next guest on Viking 360 is a Ripley High School graduate who is a sports writer in Oakland, Maryland. He follows West Virginia University uh, extensively. Our welcome to Trevor King of the Ripley High class of 2010. Welcome, Trevor. Hello, Mike. How are you doing? Doing great. Thank you. Trevor, let's talk a little WVU football, as you might expect. Uh, and first, let's talk about uh, Holgerson's departure. I knew there were financial considerations that went into that. Uh, please explain the Mountaineer money matters. Okay, well, I'm no financial expert, but uh, from what I gathered, his buyout reduced significantly at the turn of the new year. Uh, on January 1st, I believe it was reduced by about a million dollars. Um, so that was why the timing happened when it did. Um, and in your opinion, was it simply time for Holgerson to move on? What What do you think about him? I think it is. I think it's a natural reset point um, because I, I think what there was a, there was an expectation going into this year that this was probably the most talented team that WVU has had 
since arguably 2007. And the Big 12 was also down this year. So there were many who believed, and I think Holgerson also thought this in the back of his head, if they don't even make the Big 12 championship game this year, is he ever going to get it done here? Um, and I think the Oklahoma State loss was a killer. Losing that, blowing the 17-point lead, I, it just, everything kind of unraveled. And with losing Will Greer and Sills and company next year, plus uh, David Long declaring for the draft on the defensive side of the ball, plus uh, losing Kenny Bigelow and others on the defensive line. Uh, it's just a natural reset point because I think if Holgerson had stayed another year, it was very likely he was going to get fired. And instead of having the stigma of being a coach who was fired, he can leave. And, you know, just – and I think – it was a mutual. I think it was a mutual decision. Nobody was really shocked by this, uh, at least on the inside. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I think his legacy here will be that it could have been worse. <laughs> um, you know, transitioning from the Big East to the Big Twelve was not easy. And in his, I think it was eight years as head coach, only one losing season. Um, two 10-win seasons, including a BCS Bowl win. It's not, he wasn't bad by any stretch. Um, and I think with some seasons that had bad luck, with like the Clint Trickett injury in 2014 or Will Greer's injury in 2017, the seasons could have turned out a lot differently. And we might, as a whole, have a completely different opinion of it. But, yeah, I think last year was going to be the year, and this was... I just I think a natural reset point for the program for Shane Lyons for Dana Holgerson and everybody involved. Okay, so um, Holgerson moves on to Houston, and Neil Brown is brought in from uh, Troy State uh, down in Alabama as his replacement. Uh, Brown had previously been the offensive coordinator at Texas Tech and at Kentucky, but at age thirty-eight, what do you think he brings to the WVU table? Well, um, you know, he completely turned Troy around. In his last three years, he's won, I think he won 10 games three years ago, 11 games two years ago, and 10 games this past year. And um, really, that's about all you can do at Troy. Uh, um, they're never really going to be in the playoff contention. So naturally, Neil Brown stepping up. It's kind of amazing that a Power 5 team hasn't hired him yet. So I think WVU got a huge steal here. Um, I think he'll bring, uh, he's an offensive-minded coach, which I know there might be fans who are hesitant with that because Holgerson is also an offensive-minded coach. But uh, Neil Brown, from a personality standpoint, I just think is, I think he, he'll fit in a lot better here. If you, I, I implore people, if they haven't already seen it, go to WVU Football's Facebook or Twitter page. They have a video of Neil Brown talking to Don Nealon, and it is wonderful. Um and by all accounts, uh, if you saw his, uh, uh, before he left, like after he had signed the contract to go to West Virginia, he, uh, at halftime of a Troy basketball game, right before he moved up to Morgantown, he addressed the crowd and told them thanks for everything. And it, it was just really classy. I think what we're going to get from him is it, just this really classy guy who I think culturally will fit in great here. Um, as far as, uh, 
style and results on the field, honestly, it's too early to tell. Uh, but I think he'll try to put the offensive He's an offensive-minded coach, so I'm sure the up-tempo will still be there. But um, him bringing uh, Vic Koenig, I I think it's how you pronounce his last name as defensive coordinator is really interesting because they they have been really he has been really good as a defensive coordinator just about everywhere he's been uh, seeing improvements at almost every program he takes over they rise significantly in the defensive national rankings and that's been at Power Five schools and even at places like Troy he's done a great job and with him coming here with Neil Brown I I think both sides of the ball could be. Uh, could be pretty solid uh, in the long term. As far as next year goes, well, that's a different question. And, and speaking of next year, Trevor, in addition to the uh, the Big 12 schedule, he faces uh, non-conference games with uh, Missouri, which went 8-5, and five, and with NC State, which is coming off a 9-4 and four season. So what, as, what do you see as being, being his biggest challenge as the new coach in Morgantown, and what are the expectations this fall? Well, it is, uh, I mean, the biggest challenge in West, for West Virginia while they're in the Big 12 is going to be recruiting. And that is going to be, as long as West Virginia is in the Big 12, that is a massive hurdle to overcome. Um, trying to get kids to come here when, you know, they're, like, it's just it's going to be hard um, because we're, we're just kind of on an island out here in the middle of nowhere when it comes to the rest of the Big 12. But with that said, um, as far as the expectations for next year, I honestly think it'd be best for fans to just call this a year zero because the Big 12 is going to be especially brutal um, because you know TCU's not going to have a down year again. Gary Patterson doesn't have two bad years in a row. Um, Baylor is on a major upswing. Texas is only getting better, and they're coming off of New Year's Six Bowl win against Georgia. Oklahoma, they can put 11 guys named Harry out there and still average 50 points a game. Uh, Kansas now has less miles. And that game being on the road scares the crap out of me. I know they still don't have a lot of talent, but less miles at Kansas, is a that that could be an interesting problem. Iowa State, even though David Montgomery just declared for the draft, which is good news for us, and the fact that they come to Morgantown, Brock Purdy's still their quarterback, and he kind of torched West Virginia last year. Oklahoma State is only going to get better. Um, a lot of teams are returning uh, a lot of people. Um, there are a whole lot of guinea wins on the schedule like there were this year. Um, in the non-conference schedule, I mean, I know Missouri's going to be rebuilding a bit, and so will NC State to a degree, but those are still going to be tough games. Going on the road against an SEC opponent's going to be tough. Having NC State come here, that game's going to be tough. Uh, and opening the season against James Madison, I know they're getting a new coach this year, but that is one of the premier FCS programs. That is not going to be a slouch. Uh, there will be no breaks in next year's schedule. And if they make, if Neil Brown makes a bowl game next year, I think we hit a home run. Because I just think next season it's going to be about how will this team look from game, week one to week 12? Is there a consistent improvement? Is there something where we can look at and go, holy crap, we can build for that in the future? I can see where this is going to be a long term game. Um, 
And you know, another thing about Neil Brown, I forgot to mention, is that this is the first time WVU has hired a head coach with previous FBS-level head coaching experience since they hired Don Neelan over 40 years ago, or nearly 40 years ago, um, because Rick Schraub was just an offensive coordinator at the FBS level. Bill Stewart's only other head coaching experience was at BMI, if I recall correctly, and Holgerson was only a coordinator at the FBS level. So this is uh, almost new territory. And uh, I, I just think that while next season could be rough from a win-loss perspective, if we see improvement from beginning to end, I think there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic long-term, kind of like a Scott Frost situation at Nebraska this past year. They started 0-6, but they ended up with a, even though they still had a losing record, it was still semi-respectable. They looked so much better towards the end of the season than they did uh, at the beginning. And uh, the fans at Nebraska, even with the losing record, are pretty optimistic. And I think we could see a similar situation next year for WVU. But uh, anywhere from four to seven wins wouldn't – oh, God, if we got seven wins, that might be too much. But (laughs) uh, um, I I mean – like I I was telling one of my friends the other day, like – I would rather go five and seven with a new coach this year than go five and seven with Holgerson again, because then I feel 2019 would have been a waste if there wasn't it, if Holgerson hadn't left. Now we can use this year as kind of a development year. There's good news about Ripley High Sports. The SSAC and MVB Bank sponsor an awards program that recognizes the total athletic and academic programs at West Virginia high schools. The current AAA standings have the Vikings at number 7 and the Lady Vikings at number 14. In Episode 9 of Viking 360, we'll have a winter sports midseason report. Thanks for listening. Make sure you hit the subscribe button, and we'll see you around.